sharing with other people. That is a truth we ought to be telling our neighbors about. That is the only truth that will transform our community. That's the only truth that will make God's name known in our community. That Jesus is all that you need. That Jesus wants to come and set you free. That Jesus wants to rescue you. That Jesus wants to be your contentment. There was a movie that was put out. It's been a long, long time ago. Long enough that when it first came out, I saw it as a young junior high school kid in a Sunday school class. I bet nobody here has ever heard of it. Maybe a few of you. It's called The Gospel Blimp. Has anybody ever heard of The Gospel Blimp? It came out in 1967. It's about a 40-minute film. It's a satire. I think it's a comedy about some well-meaning but misguided Christians who wanted to share the gospel with their neighbors. That was the premise of the movie. So there was some families, some Christian families who got together one afternoon and had a cookout in the backyard so they might strategize about how they could best share the gospel of Jesus Christ with their neighbors as they were enjoying the sunlight, as they were enjoying the fellowship, as they were enjoying the cookout. A blimp passed by in the sky, and as you might expect, they were all mesmerized by it. They sat and they, they gawked at it. They talked about it. They wondered about it. They began to realize that it was impacting their neighborhood in the exact same way. People were coming out of the house. They were looking up at the blimp. They were wondering about it. Why was it there? What was it doing? What's this all about? And as they were considering all of those things, a great idea struck them. If we want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and with our neighborhood, we need to get us a blimp. And we can put a big message on the blimp, and there's a myriad of ways that we can use that blimp to get the gospel of Jesus out to our neighbors. And so they made a pact, they made a commitment, they got together, they organized, they raised money, they bought land, they built a hangar, they bought the blimp, they set up a board of directors, they set up an office, they hired a leader, and they worked for a year until they were ready to launch the blimp. And They launched the blimp with the message repent written on the side. And as they flew over the neighborhood and the community, they, they tossed out cellophane-wrapped gospel tracts to everybody. Which, as you can imagine, only made people mad and annoyed everybody. And the reports came in and they figured they better try something else. And so they, they set up a PA system on the blimp. And once again, they took to the air. And this time, with the repent sign on the blimp, they began telling people that they needed to turn to Jesus. And of course, that only made people more annoyed and more angry. There was one guy who was on the board of the blimp who decided he would leave the board. 
It wasn't long after he had left the board that people who were part of the blimp movement began to see this guy going to the beach on Saturday afternoon with his hard-living, foul-mouthed, beer-drinking next-door neighbor. And the blimp people got very concerned about this guy, thinking that maybe he was becoming worldly. And as the movie draws to an end, we see this fellow who had left the board. He and his wife had led their next-door neighbors to Jesus. And Jesus had radically changed their lives. Of course, the blimp people still didn't get it. They still didn't understand. The message of this short film really is very, very simple. The best way to share the good news of Jesus Christ with your neighbors is to be their friend and then to tell them about Jesus. That's the message of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. I have said to y'all that as we go through this study of the Gospel of John, we are doing so in the context of God's mission for this church, God's specific calling for us as a church family. That He has given us purpose and that He has given us mission to make His name known in this community. To impact this community for Jesus' sake. And these 17 verses at the end of the first chapter of the Gospel of John speak to that purpose and to that mission and to the context by which we want to study the Gospel of John. It's really a simple, simple story. I've prayed and asked God that he not let me complicate this matter. John the Baptist <clears throat> is doing ministry. He is not only a baptizer, he is a discipler, and he is a teacher, and he is a mentor. Jesus walks by, and he points to Jesus and makes known to two of those who were his disciples, who were his students, who were following him and learning from them, he points to Jesus and mentions to these two, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And these two leave John the Baptist and they go to follow Jesus. One of those two was Andrew. Jesus radically changed Andrew's life in the matter of a few minutes. And Andrew felt compelled. He felt burdened. It was as if nothing could stop him. He, he had to tell someone how Jesus had changed his life. And so he went and got his brother Simon. And Simon came and Jesus changed his life. The next day, Jesus was walking and saw Philip. And he calls Philip to himself. Philip comes and goes with Jesus and follows him and Jesus changes his life and Philip feels compelled and there's nothing that can stop him and he's got to tell somebody, he's got to share this experience with somebody and he goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, you got to come and see the promised one, the one who's spoken of in the Old Testament, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, come and see the king of Israel. 
And Nathaniel comes. And Jesus radically changes his life. Because Jesus is the only Savior everybody needs. Jesus is the only Savior that every person needs. And when we experience the reality of that in our lives, we must tell others about Jesus because friends bring friends to Jesus. The Gospel of John was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that in believing we might have life. When we experience that life and we know that the source of life is Jesus, then we tell other people about Jesus. John wrote this Gospel so that we would know Jesus better. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John alone, listen to these different descriptions of who Jesus is. It says to us that Jesus is eternal. That in the beginning, He was with God and He was God. It says that Jesus is life. It says that those who believe in Jesus, He gives them the right to become children of God. It says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Later in John, it says that Jesus is truth. It says that Jesus is greater than Moses and the law. It says that Jesus explains God to us. It says that Jesus takes away the sin of the world. It says that Jesus is the chosen one of God, the very Son of God, the anointed one. In these 17 verses that we'll look at this morning, John 1, verses 35 through 51, here's what it says about Jesus. It says, Jesus is the Lamb of God. It says Jesus is the teacher, that Jesus is the Messiah. It's Jesus who frees us from bondage, not governmental bondage, but bondage from, from guilt, bondage from um, fear, bondage from eternal separation from God. He's the Messiah. It says that He's the authoritative Lord who has the power to radically change a life like He did in Peter's life. It says that He is the One whom the Old Testament speaks. It says that He is the omniscient One, the all-knowing One who knows everything about every person including you. It says that He's the Son of God. It says that He's the King of Israel. He is the bridge, the only bridge between heaven and earth. The only way into heaven, the only way to know heaven, to experience heaven, is through this bridge, Jesus Christ. He's the only way. It says that He is the Son of Man. Jesus is all that you need. I speak this morning to our church family. I speak to this morning to all of you who, who identify and call Avalon Church your home, but I acknowledge and I recognize that there are those who are with us this morning who you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you're just wondering. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you're seeking. I don't know, but I want you to know this morning, and I tell you from the bottom of my heart, as sincere as I can, Jesus is what you need. Jesus is your answer. 
And this is where a battle will take place in your life. It's that battle that Pastor Jim has already mentioned to us this morning, that battle between lies and truth. And so there's, there's a battle for the one who, who so desperately needs Jesus, who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and, and, and Satan will lie to you and say, don't you join this, this, this weird group of people. This is not about joining people. This is about Jesus being your answer. And he'll lie to you and he'll say, you're not quite ready for this yet. Come back next Sunday. Maybe next Sunday. That's a lie. Or you're not good enough. Or Jesus won't accept you. All you need is Jesus. There's another battle that will be going on among the people of this church. And it's a battle between truth and lie. The truth that Jesus is is all that any person needs, that every person needs. And, and, and the lie that, that well, I, I, you know, I don't feel like I know the Bible well enough to tell somebody about Jesus, or I'm too busy to tell somebody about Jesus, or I need to get my family straight before I tell somebody about Jesus, or I need to get cleaned up before I tell somebody about Jesus, or, and on and on and on and on, the thousands and thousands and thousands of reasons, the thousands of lies that we won't do Simply what God has called us to do. There's a battle that will be taking place. And we look at this passage of Scripture, and you know what comes across to me as we look at this pa- passage of Scripture? Oh, how simple is God's plan for making His name famous in this community. Oh, how simple it is. We read together from the Gospel of John in the first chapter, beginning in the 35th verse. In the first chapter of John, after John the Baptist is introduced and he proclaims that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, from that point on to the beginning of the second chapter is a week uh, that occurs between John the Baptist being introduced and the wedding at Cana that we'll talk about in subsequent weeks. And so we see, written in this first chapter, we see over and over again, the next day, the next day, the next day. And beginning in the 35th verse, it says the next day again. John was standing with two of his disciples. John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him and they heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. The word followed there is the, it literally means they, they went and walked with Jesus. This isn't their call to discipleship. These two disciples we know are Andrew and John, the writer of this gospel. This was, this was more when they, when they recognized who Jesus was, when they were able to believe in Jesus and place their faith in Jesus and establish a saving relationship with Jesus. If we, if we looked at one of the other Gospels, actually if we looked at three, the other three Gospels, we would find an event in there where Jesus is walking along and he sees Again, John and Andrew, but this time Peter is with them as well, and James, and they're sitting on a boat and they're mending their nets and they're getting ready to go and to go fishing, which was their living. And Jesus comes to them and he says, Hey, leave your nets and come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Well, that was his call 
for them to follow him as disciples. That was his call for them to enter into this ministry that would radically change their lives and change the world. But that was a different time than what we see here in John 1. They simply recognized Jesus for who he is and chose to walk with Jesus. It's the need of every person in this room to recognize Jesus for who he is and then walk with Jesus. Jesus turned, verse 38, and he saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? Hey folks, that's a really important question. What Jesus was saying to them is, what do you want? That's a question we ought to ask ourselves. What are you seeking? What do you want? A better question, or maybe a better way to put that question is, why are you here? What have you come for? Jesus fulfills our need. Do not believe the lie that the world has the answer for what we need. I don't know how he does that exactly. I just know that when I surrender to him, That he has a way of involving himself in my life in extremely practical ways. Whether it's a financial need or relational need, whether I'm lonely, whether I'm feeling inadequate, no matter what it is, Jesus has this way of involving himself in my life in a very practical way. Jesus is all that I need. He turns to these two who are following him and he says, tell me what you want. I encourage you to, to... answer that question from Jesus to you even this morning and they said to him well rabbi which means teacher which is evidence that this gospel of John was written to the Gentiles or the Greeks not the Jewish people rabbi which means teacher where are you staying they were saying you know what we want we just won't be with you where are you going we want to hang out we want to develop a relationship. We want to know you better. We want to hear you. We want, what you have to say is important to us. We want you to pour your life into ours. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. where It was about the 10th hour. They, 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 they started following him. They started walking with him middle of the morning. And they stayed with him all throughout that day. There was some time during that day that Andrew has all that he can take. You know, he's received all that he can receive. He's about to bust wide open. He doesn't know what to do except that he knows he needs to tell somebody else about this encounter with Jesus. He needs to tell somebody else about the power and authority of Jesus. He needs to tell somebody else about the truth of Jesus. He needs to tell somebody else that Jesus forgives, that Jesus saves, that Jesus is the King. He's got to tell somebody. And so he goes and he finds his brother Simon. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And so he first found his brother Simon and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, the one who frees, the one who reigns. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you're you're Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. We see the authority of Jesus here. 
We see what He is able to do, what He has the power to do, what He has the authority to do. He can radically transform someone's life. He knows Peter before he's even had interaction with Peter. He knows the personality of Peter. He knows what drives Peter. He knows Peter's hot button. Peter's a rough character. A lot of you might even get upset if he walked down this aisle and sat on the front row this morning. He probably had a little bit of a foul mouth. He said whatever he wanted to say. He wasn't worried about hurting anybody's feelings. He's the kind of guy who would often speak before thinking. He was gruff and rough. Jesus knew him, man. He knew he was that kind of... That, that, that kind of driven person, that type A personality, that he had to have a purpose, he had to have a mission, and Jesus gives him a mission. You're not Simon anymore. You're going to be Peter. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be a leader. I'm going to use you. I wonder what lies Peter was dealing with at that time. He doesn't know you. He can't use you. You tick too many people off. You need to get cleaned up first. Let's do this later. What lies are you listening to this morning as Jesus beckons you? Come. Come and be with me. Come and follow me. Jesus has power and Jesus has authority and Jesus can transform. And Jesus knows you inside and out. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows how He wants to use you. He knows the way He wants to use you. He already knows in whose life He wants to use you. Will you follow Him? Will you trust Him? Will you believe Him? Simon, I mean Andrew, goes and gets his brother Simon. Simon comes to Jesus. Jesus transforms him. He names him Peter and the day ends. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decides to go to Galilee. They're going to travel by foot a little bit further north. Off of the, the, the um, Jordan River. A little bit toward the west. And on that travel, Jesus himself sees Philip and he says to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the same city where Andrew and Peter were from. Jesus calls Philip to himself. This is a, an important truth for us to understand and remember this morning. That, that the Bible says, Jesus tells us in the 6th chapter of the Gospel of John, I think it's the 44th verse, where Jesus says, uh, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. In other words, there are going to be encounters that we have in our telling other people about Jesus that we recognize in our hearts that we experience that this person's not interested in Jesus at all. Have you ever, ever had that experience? Well, we, what we need to understand is that no one comes to Jesus unless Jesus first invites them, unless the Father draws them to Himself. That's important to us because it's not our responsibility to do that. We can't talk people into coming to Jesus. People don't come to Jesus. People won't come to Jesus. And here's what the Bible says, and I looked at every translation I could find. It says people cannot come to Jesus. Cannot come to Jesus. Unless God the Father reveals Himself and calls them to Jesus. So it's just our 
responsibility, it's our mission, it's our task to tell people about Jesus. What God does with that, that's God's deal. That's God's business. Jesus himself draws Philip to him, and Philip spends some time with Jesus, and here it happens again. He gets so full of Jesus that he's ready to bust. He doesn't know what to do. But he's got this compulsion. He's got this burden. He's, he's driven to go and share this truth with someone else. And so he goes and he finds his friend Nathaniel. In verse 44, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael was a skeptic. Nathanael had an objection. Nathanael wasn't an easy prey. Can anything good come out of Jerusalem? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth that you speak about? And You know, I, I think about Philip. I feel for Philip a little bit. I wonder if that threw him. He wasn't expecting him to have an objection. He wasn't expecting him to be a skeptic. And after all, Philip had only spent just a little bit of time with Jesus. It's not like he had a seminary degree. So how was he to respond to this skeptic, to this objection? And here's how he responds. And I think we can learn so much from this. Philip said to him, come and see. Wow, there's a sermon. There is a gospel presentation. There is a way to tell other people about Jesus. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Here was a transparent guy. Here was an honest guy. Here was a guy who did not do the rituals of the Jewish faith because... You know, you got to do them. He did them because he loved God and he wanted to know God and he wanted to have a relationship with God. And Nathaniel says to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him and he said, and answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week when we observe communion together. Look, I, I just want you to see that because of who Jesus is, friends bring friends to Jesus because of who Jesus is. We look at this passage of Scripture and we see different kinds of people. We see different circumstances. I would suggest to you we even see different kinds of gospel presentations. It's the same message. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is what we need. But... They use different methodologies. I want to ask you a question. What is it 
that keeps you from telling other people about Jesus? Is it a lie that you're believing? God can't use you? Are you too busy? Are you waiting for something to get fixed so that God will use you? Why is it that you won't tell someone else about Jesus? Is it fear? Maybe, maybe you don't believe he's the answer. Maybe you don't really believe that what that person needs and who that person needs is Jesus. And we need to experience that in our own lives. We need to experience the reality that Jesus is what we need. That Jesus is our provider and Jesus is our protector and Jesus is the one who forgives and Jesus is the one who guides. Jesus is the one who practically involves himself in our lives. And we need to tell people that message. I think of Andrew, this first guy. <laughs> Here's a guy who had lived in his big brother's shadow all of his life. It was Simon who owned the fishing business and, and Andrew who worked for him. It was, it was Simon who was the boss, who was the bully, who told you what to do. It seems like Andrew was just kind of always in his shadow. And even as we, we, we look through their earthly ministries and we see them in their three and a half year walk with Jesus, we see that, that Andrew is kind of overshadowed by, by Peter. It's Peter, James, and John who become the inner circle of Jesus. Now, Andrew's not included in there, yet he was one of the first who followed Jesus. But Andrew seemed to understand his identity. He seemed to understand that Jesus loved him. He seemed to understand that Jesus wanted to use him. And you know what Andrew's famous for? He's famous for bringing one person at a time to Jesus. Time after time, Andrew, just bring in one person at a time to Jesus. He brought his big brother Peter to Jesus. Peter ended up preaching a sermon where 3,000 people came to Jesus. Peter ended up being the leader of the disciples. Andrew brought them. Have you got a vision for how God might want to use you? It might just be that person next door in the next cubicle or standing on the soccer field. And you don't have any idea what God can do in their life. He can revolutionize their life. He can radically change them. And He can use them. You say, He won't use me to bring thousands to Jesus. Well, He might use somebody that you bring to Jesus to bring thousands to Jesus. Maybe that's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians when he said he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. Maybe that's what Jesus meant when he says to the disciples, you're going to do greater things than I've done. We've got to, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to ask ourselves, why aren't I telling other people about Jesus? The word or the name Edward Kimmel probably doesn't mean anything to you. He was a Sunday school teacher, a little small Sunday school class, boys class. In the early 20th century, there was a guy that he felt so strongly Jesus wanted him to tell this little fella about Jesus. And 
He was scared to death. He was timid. He was shy. This fellow was a shoe salesman at the local shoe store. Mr. Kimmel, he would go down to the shoe store and he'd stand at that door and as he's telling the story himself, he'd get scared. He says, I chickened out and I would leave and then I'd feel so strongly. This is what God wanted me to do. So I'd go back and he said, finally one day, I went into the shoe store and I found that little boy and he was back in the back in the stock room and he says, I honestly can't tell you what I said to him. I don't remember. I don't know. I just told him about Jesus. And that little boy gave Jesus his life. Trusted in Jesus, came to Jesus, became a follower of Jesus. That little boy's name was a preacher called D.L. Moody. He has led thousands upon thousands to the Lord in his ministries here in America and in England. And his impact continues today through Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. One of the Wade girls goes to school there. At Moody Bible Institute, thousands are being trained for the gospel ministry. Why aren't we telling more people about Jesus? The point is this, and I'm finished. Jesus did not launch his kingdom. This is the launch of his kingdom right here. Jesus did not launch his kingdom through a mass mailing or preaching to large crowds. He had no corporate headquarters. There was no association that he was involved with. There was no gospel blimp that was used. He launched his kingdom quietly when two disciples of John the Baptist decided that they would follow Jesus. Folks, I believe that's how the Lord wants to become famous in our community. One person at a time. Us telling people about Jesus. If you're excited about Jesus, then you need to tell your friends and you need to tell your family about him. Now, I could just stop right here and say a prayer and we go home, but let's get practical. You got a bulletin when you came in and there's some notes there and I know you haven't written one note on that page. So why don't you use that to make a list? Five people. Six, eight, ten people that God puts on your heart that you're interactive with, that you see a lot, that they don't know Jesus. You write their names on that list, on that paper right there, and you begin to pray for them. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws them, so pray that the Father would draw them. Pray that God would give you an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Dale, what am I going to say? I, I don't Listen, just tell them your story. Maybe you could say this. Come and see. Maybe you could say this. Look, he rescued me. That's all I know. He set me free. I came to him and what he said was true. I don't know. Come and see. You begin to pray God would draw them and you begin to pray that God would give you opportunities to tell them about Jesus. You know why? Because friends bring friends to Jesus. Why aren't we telling more people about Jesus? Let me invite you to stand.
This is um, John's Gospel, verses 35 through 51. It's how Jesus launched his ministry, and he challenges us today. What will you do with his challenge? Why are you here? What are you seeking? What do you want? Have you experienced the reality that Jesus is all you need? Maybe that's where we need to start this morning. Why aren't we telling people? Friends, bring friends to Jesus. So Lord God, I stand in front of this army of people. I stand in front of this gifted team of people. And I wonder why, Lord, we've barely scratched the surface in making you famous here. Lord, are are we trying to have a gospel blimp? Is that what we're doing? Do we need to get back to your plan where one by one we just tell people about your goodness, about your grace, about your love, about your forgiveness, about your power and authority to transform, to heal, to rescue, to set free. Do a work in our hearts and lives. This is your time to tell Jesus what you want to do with what He's challenged you and encouraged you with this morning as our team leads us. I hope you'll tell Him what you want to do. I might say that refusing to tell Him is a way of telling Him. He's here. You speak to Him as we worship together.